Welcome to Harmony Christian Church Podcast. For more information about us, visit HarmonyChurchFamily.org. Last week, we began talking about the Holy Spirit. And I want to continue that today, talking about the Holy Spirit. Um, Go ahead, and if you have your Bibles, open up to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 29. John chapter 1, verse 29. It's on page 732, if you're looking for that. A little preacher humor there that only preachers laugh at. All right. First, so John 1, verse 29, it says, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore, I can baptize. I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. I did not know him, but I knew, or but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him. This is the one, or this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Now turn with me to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, verse 34. Acts 10, 10, 34 says, Peter here, let me give you some context. Peter is talking Uh, to the household of Cornelius. Cornelius was a Roman centurion who uh, the Bible says regularly gave alms and and prayed to the Lord. And it says that all of those alms, all of that giving, all of that good that he did, all of the prayers that he prayed stood as a memorial before the Lord. And so Cornelius, or an angel visits Cornelius, tells him to go see this man named Peter. Peter gets a visitation from the Lord as well. And uh, the Lord tells him, do not call unclean what I call clean, because Cornelius was a Gentile. And at this time, the Gentiles, the Jews looked upon the Gentiles still with disdain. They still believed that this message of the gospel was for the Jews and the Jews alone. And God comes along and says, you're wrong. It's not just for the Jews. It's for the Gentiles as well. This message of the gospel is for the world. So Cornelius comes to his house. Long story short, Peter ends up in Cornelius's household. He's preaching the gospel to the Cornelius household. And this is what he says. He says, then Peter opened his mouth and said, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is the Lord of all. That word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all of Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism with John, which John preached. Here it is, verse 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. One more. You ready? Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 16. Jesus is in his hometown of Nazareth. He's in the synagogue. 
Starting in verse, what did I say? Four, no, verse 16. I'm sorry. Starting in verse 16. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And that all the eyes were on him in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Whew. Want me to read some more? I've got more if we want them. Jesus, I think everybody can agree with me on this statement. Jesus is our example and model for everything, right? If we want to know what it looks like to be a good leader, we look at Jesus and his example. I know Max Lucado is awesome. Not Max Lucado, who is it? John Maxwell, that's the one I wanted. He's awesome, but ultimately he's not our example. Our example is Jesus. If we want to know what it looks like to be a good parent, to be a good father, we look at Jesus. If we want to know what it looks like and how to pray properly, we look to Jesus. If we want to know what it looks like to walk on this earth with good character, who do we look to? Man, you're all catching on. Good. Jesus, right? Everything we do, everything of who we are, we look to Jesus as our example. He is the example that we follow. He is the model for everything that we do, for how we live our life. Jesus is also the example for what it looks like to be one filled with the Holy Spirit. Just as he is our example for leadership, just as he is our example for how to pray, how to worship, how to do all of these things, he is also our primary example for what it looks like to be a person who has the Holy Spirit living on the inside of them. Jesus is the prototype. He is the example. You know, Jesus, Jesus purposefully operated on this earth as a man filled with the Holy Spirit. Everything that Jesus did, even though he was fully God and fully man, everything that he did, all of the miracles, all of the works, he did not as God, he did as a man who was filled with the Holy Spirit. We just read three examples, three scriptures that told us that exact thing, that Jesus, that God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit, that he is our example of what it looks like to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now you may be sitting there asking, you may be sitting there asking, what, if, if Jesus was a man filled with the Holy Spirit, does that mean that he didn't have the Holy Spirit before John saw the dove come and rest upon him? Did he have the Holy Spirit when, he, when it fell or did he not? Of course he did, right? He's, there was never one time in history that God was separated from the Trinity, 
right? So Jesus absolutely had the Holy Spirit living on the inside of him before John witnessed the dove come and descend upon him because he is part of that circle dance, right? That circle dance that is never broken. That, that communion between the Father, Son, and Spirit has never been broken. And so, yes, of course, Jesus had the Holy Spirit living on the inside of him, right? But Scripture seems to point to a separate experience with the Holy Spirit that he comes and endues with power, right? You see in Acts chapter two that the Holy Spirit is given and those there present were given power. Let me show you some examples here of what I'm talking about. John chapter 20, verse 19, Jesus had risen from the dead, all right? Jesus had risen from the dead. He's walking around and he's, he's meeting up with people. He's, uh, people are encountering the risen, risen God. So all of the disciples were in one room together. Jesus walks through the wall, right? I'm sure the disciples probably messed their pants, but Jesus <laughs> walks through the wall and surprises the disciples, shows that he's there. And while he's there, as the scripture says that he breathed on the disciples. And it says that the breath that came out of him, it says that he breathed the Holy Spirit into the disciples. And the disciples at that moment were baptized in the Holy Spirit. Okay. So were the disciples saved before this event? Did they believe in Jesus before? Absolutely. Right. Did they have the Holy Spirit in them? I believe so, because I believe when you get saved, when you have Jesus living on the inside of you, what do we read about in Ephesians chapter, chapter one? says that we receive the guarantee of our inheritance. The seal of our inheritance is the Holy Spirit. So I believe just as Jesus had the Holy Spirit before he was baptized by John and the Spirit descended upon him, we also have the Holy Spirit. And here in this passage, the disciples already believed in Jesus, but Jesus breathed the Holy Spirit on them. There's another example. Saul is on the road to Damascus. In Acts, I believe, chapter 9. Yeah, Acts chapter 9, he's on the road to Damascus. And he's on his way to persecute the church. And then all of a sudden, Jesus appears before him. The risen Jesus appears before him and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Right? And that moment, Saul recognizes who Jesus is, right? And he has a conversion experience right there on the road to Damascus where Saul becomes Paul, becomes a follower and believer in Jesus. And it says that his eyes, there was these scales that came over his eyes. And for three days, Saul walked the earth blind until one day God spoke to a man named Ananias and told Ananias he wanted him to go visit Paul and talk to him. And at first, Ananias is like, dude, this dude's killing Christians. I don't really want to go and visit and have dinner with this guy. And God's, God tells him there's been a change in his heart, and I want you to go and visit Paul, Saul, who has now become Paul. And so Ananias goes and he visits Paul. And it says that Ananias laid his hands upon Paul. And it says that the scales that were on his eyes fell off. And it says that in that moment, Paul received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, right? He received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Another example, Philip in Acts chapter eight is preaching the gospel in Samaria to the Samaritans. And it says that the Samaritans received the word with joy. A few days later, 
the apostles in Jerusalem heard about what was happening in Samaria. And so they, they send Peter and they, Peter and another disciple. Who is it? Peter and John, I believe. They send Peter and John to, the, or to Samaria to see what's happening. When they get to the Samaria, they, here, let me just read the scripture. They ask, they ask that, they, they see that the people of Samaria had been saved, but they ask if they have yet to receive the Holy Spirit. And they said they had it. So in verse 14 and 16, they say that they might receive the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So Phil, or Peter and John lay their hands on the believers in Samaria. And it says that they receive the Holy Spirit. You got time for one more example? Good. Acts chapter 19. Paul is traveling through Ephesus. And as he's traveling and making his way through Ephesus, he runs across this group of people who have heard the gospel and have accepted Jesus. And so he runs across these believers and he asks them, he says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Kind of an odd question, isn't it? Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe? So they already believe. Now he's asking them, have you experienced the Holy Spirit? And their, their quote, they, they say this, they say, Who's the Holy Spirit? <laughs> they're saved, right? They believe they're followers of Jesus. They're Christians. And they go, who's the Holy Spirit? So it says that Paul lays his hands on them and they received. It says, it says that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. So here's the question. Do you receive the Holy Spirit when you get saved or after salvation? Yes. Yes. Right? The answer is yes. The Gentiles that I, at Cornelius' house, you know, remember Cornelius' house I talked about? They were filled with the Spirit while Peter was preaching. Right? And Peter, as you read scripture, gets filled with the Holy Spirit many times. Once before, uh, when, before Jesus ascended into heaven, we already read about that. He gets filled in Acts chapter two at the day of Pentecost, where he stands up in front of the multitude and preaches the gospel with power. And then again, in Acts chapter four, you read how a group of them were together and they were praying for boldness. And it says the house that they were in was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. So do you receive the Holy Spirit when you get saved? Yes, but there's more. There's more. And I talked about this a little bit with baptism this morning. So some of you are going to hear this again. I think sometimes as Christians, we get so caught up in the semantics of all of these things. And you have Christians and denominations fighting with one another. Is there a secondary experience to the Holy Spirit? Do you get, do you get the Holy Spirit before you get baptized? While you're getting baptized? After you're getting baptized? And we can find all the scriptures. I can show you all three of those instances where people are filled with the Holy Spirit before, during, and after baptism. Yet we argue about all of these little things within the body of Christ. All of these little details that at the end of the day really do not matter because the scripture is clear about one thing. That there is more. There is more. 
that Peter was filled and then filled again and then filled again and was constantly crying out to the Father to fill him more with the Holy Spirit and with power. And what I want to preach today to you is not whether or not there's this or and, and whether or not there's this little detail. What I want to tell you today is that right now there's opportunity for you to step into more of the Holy Spirit in your life that you can be filled. I believe once again, that if you are saved, if you are following Jesus, if you have believed with your heart and confessed with your mouth that the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of you, he is the guarantee of your salvation, but there can be more. There can be more, amen? There is more. Do you have the Holy Spirit in you now? I believe you do, but scripture tells us there's more. And if there's more, church, don't you want it? If there's an opportunity for more, if there's an opportunity to go deeper, if there's an opportunity for an experience that the disciples and the apostles all experience, if that is available to you now, then why would we not want to go after it? Why would we not want to go after it? When Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit, it was for a purpose, right? He's our prototype. He's our example. When Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit, it was for a purpose. Let's look again at Acts chapter 10. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Look at this part here. Who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. Jesus did something with the anointing and power that the Holy Spirit gave him. Jesus did something with the anointing and the power the Holy Spirit gave him. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 61. This is the verse that Jesus stood up and read at that Nazareth synagogue when he announced that the Spirit of the Lord God was on him. Let's read it here in Isaiah 61. It says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach the good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. To proclaim liberty, or to, I'm sorry, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness. Other translations say oaks of righteousness, the planning of the Lord that he may be glorified, that he may be glorified. Let's look here. Who did he come for? The poor, the brokenhearted, the captive, the bound, and those he mourns, or those who mourn. And what does it say happens when they encounter this man who is filled with the Holy Spirit? It says the ones who were broken, the ones who were mourning, the ones who were poor, it says they became oaks of righteousness. That the most broken in the community became the most stable in the community. You know, an oak tree, oak tree is one of the strongest trees, one of the strongest woods that is grown in the ground, right? 
Yeah, and, and not only are they one of the strongest trees that grows in the ground, they're also, they have longevity. Right now, there are trees near the city of Hebron that are over 800, I think 850 years old. So the oak tree represents stability, it represents strength, it represents longevity. So the poor, the brokenhearted, those who were held captive, those who mourned, they went from being the most broken in the community to being the most stable in the community because they had an encounter with a man who was filled with the Holy Spirit. That the Spirit was on Jesus for a purpose and the Spirit is on you for a purpose. It's not for goosebumps and feel goods. It's not for just the emotional experience. All those things are wonderful and all those things are great, but that is not the purpose of the Holy Spirit. The purpose of the Holy Spirit is that you can be endued with power from on high so that when you encounter the broken and the poor and the ones who mourn, that they don't stay broken, poor, and mourning anymore, but they become oaks of righteousness firmly planted into the ground. You are baptized with the Holy Spirit for a purpose. And read what happens to these oaks of righteousness in verse 4 of this passage. It says that the ones that are planted of the Lord, it says the oaks of righteousness, says, and they shall rebuild the old ruins, and they shall raise up the former desolations, and they shall repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. Strangers shall... Stand and feed your flocks and the sons of foreigners. That, that these oaks, these broken people who become oaks of righteousness become the repairs and the restorers of cities that we are dreaming for. Do we want to see our nation changed? Do we want to see revival? Let me tell you something. It's not going to come through politics. The earth is not waiting and groaning for the right president to be sitting in the White House. Now, is that all needed and good? Absolutely, right? But it's the earth, that, but the right politician is not going to change the hearts of man. The earth is groaning for the sons and daughters of God to be manifested. It's groaning and it needs those who are broken to become oaks of righteousness that they may repair the broken cities and the generations I love that line. The generations that have been lost for years and years and years, that grandma and great-grandma and great-grandma were lost in drugs, but when the oak of righteousness encounters them, the generations who were broken become restored. The earth is not waiting for a politician. It's not waiting for some celebrity to make the right statement. The earth is groaning and crying out, Romans tells us it's groaning for the sons and daughters to be manifested. And who is the sons and daughters of God? Those who are led by the Spirit of God. Yes. Romans chapter 8. Those who are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. What qualifies you to be the son? What, what is the sign that you are a son of God? You are led by the Spirit of God. The earth is groaning for sons and daughters of God who are filled with the Holy Spirit, who know who they are, who when they encounter the broken, they don't leave them that way, but they turn them into oaks of righteousness. Amen? The Holy Spirit comes upon you for a purpose, for a purpose. Jesus is our model. Again, Jesus is our model for what it looks like 
to be filled with the Holy Spirit. In Mark chapter 5, stick with me here because it's going to it's going to seem like I'm going off the rails, but I promise you I'm not. In Mark chapter 5, we encounter the woman with the issue of blood. Right? Everybody knows what the issue of blood is. I don't have to explain that, right? <laughs> All right. If you don't know, ask your mom and dad. Or your neighbor. Or Andrew. Andrew will be available <laughs> after service today. If you don't know what it means by the woman with the issue of blood. But there's a woman in the Bible that we meet in Mark chapter, what did I say, 5? Yeah, Mark chapter 5 who has an issue with blood. And it says that she's had this issue for years and years and years. And she's tried doctors. She's wasted, it says, all of her money on doctors. And none of them were able to fix it. She hears about this man named Jesus who is coming into town. Jesus is already on his way to another mission, right? He's on his way to Jairus' daughter. And he's walking through. And it says that the crowds have pressed up against Jesus, and they're all asking him questions. There's all this commotion. Everybody's touching Jesus, right? And we know the story. The woman sees Jesus. She presses her way through the crowd. She's not supposed to be in the crowd because she's unclean. But she presses through the crowd anyways. And it says, she's, in, in her mind, she's thinking, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, yes. that's all I need. I don't even need his full attention. I don't need him to say a prayer over me that I just have to touch the very last bit of fabric that is on his body and I believe I'll be made well. So she presses her way through the crowd. She touches the hem of his garment and it says in that very moment, instantly, what doctors, years and years of doctors were not able to fix was instantly healed by the power of God. It says, says that Jesus in that moment said, who touched me? Now picture this, everybody's touching him, right? Crowds are pressed up against him. Everybody's yelling. Everybody wants to see this man named Jesus. Everybody's touching him. And his disciples look at him and they even tell him that they're like, Jesus, what are you talking about? Everybody wants a piece of you, man. Like everybody is touching you, right? And Jesus says, no, no, no. I felt power go out from me. That power that he's talking about is not some abstract thing. That power is the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, now, just to clarify, did that power going out of him drain anything from Jesus? Absolutely not. That Jesus had the spirit, the Bible says, without measure, right? So it didn't take anything away from Jesus, but he felt power. He felt the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit go out from him. Can you imagine this? Being so in tune with the Holy Spirit on the inside of you that you don't, you're not even focusing on the Holy Spirit in the moment, right? You're not even, you're not even ministering. You're not, you're not focused on that. You're in a, in the crowd that is crazy and that is loud and everybody wants a piece of you. And even in that commotion, you know, the Holy Spirit in you so well that you can sense when he's operating. You can sense when he's operating and listen, if Jesus was God operating and doing these things as God, then I'm impressed by those things. But, um, but I, I just stand back and applaud, right? But if God was doing these things as a man who was filled with the Holy Spirit, then it's an invitation. 
that what we see God doing, what we see Jesus doing as a man filled with the Holy Spirit is an invitation. And he's saying, you can do these things too. You can have such a relationship with the Holy Spirit. You can be so in tune with the Holy Spirit that you can sense when he's working through you, even when you're not paying attention. It's an invitation to walk as Jesus walked, as a man filled with the Holy Spirit. So he felt power go out from him and the woman becomes healed. This story begins to spread throughout the community. People are talking about this woman who was healed by touching the hem of his garment. So much so that by the end of Mark chapter 6, this happened in Mark chapter 5, by the end of Mark chapter 6, we read uh, at the end of Mark chapter 6 and verse 56, it says, Whenever he, being Jesus, entered into villages, cities, or the country, thank God he comes to the country too, right? Amen. He went into villages, cities, or the country. They laid the sick in the marketplace and begged that they might just touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched him were made well. Where did they get the idea to touch the hem of his garment? They got the idea back in Mark chapter 5 when the woman touched the hem of his garment and was made well. See, when that happened, Jesus didn't start teaching about... He didn't, he didn't hand out pamphlets, you know, seven, seven ways to your miracle, right? And one of them is anointed clothing. If you touch someone's anointed clothing, you're going to get healed. He didn't do any of that. He didn't begin teaching it. They saw it demonstrated before them, right? And it's by the end of Mark chapter six, the word had gotten out and that not only can this man pray for you and lay his hands on you, but all you got to do is touch the hem of his garment and the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit through this man will come out of him and into you and you can be made well. What's awesome about this story is you see it happen in Mark chapter five. Then you see it happen in Mark chapter six. They've gotten wind of this, of this way that they can receive from a man who is anointed by the Holy Spirit. Then you jump all the way into Acts. We jump all the way to Acts now, chapter 19 and verse 11. And it tells us this, it says, God worked unusual miracles through Paul so that even the handkerchiefs and aprons were brought from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out from them. Where did they get this idea? They saw Jesus do it with the woman with the issue of blood. Then the community got a hold of the idea and began doing it on their own as he walked through the countryside, the marketplaces and all those things. And now in Acts chapter five, we don't see Jesus walking through the streets and people touching the hem of his garment and being healed. We see Paul. Now they're taking handkerchiefs from Paul and laying them on the sick and seeing them recover. That now, G now Paul has followed the example of a man who was filled with the Holy Spirit. And now the Holy Spirit is doing the same miracles through this man named Paul that he did through this man named Jesus, because Jesus is our prototype and our example of what it looks like to be a man filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you realize 
that after the Gospels, the writers of the New Testament never tell us another story of one of Jesus' miracles again. When John, the Gospel of John ends, throughout the rest of the New Testament, we never again read about one of Jesus' miracles. None of the writers ever discuss Jesus' miracles. Do you want to know why? They were telling their own story. Because they watched the example of Jesus walking the earth for 33 years. And the three years he walked with the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And they watched him and how he did it. And then when he ascended into heaven and they were baptized on the day of Pentecost with the Holy Spirit, that they went about and doing the works that Jesus was doing because they followed the example of this man who was filled with the Holy Spirit. And they said, that is my example. And now I'm going to step into that and begin walking like he walked. You don't see any other miracles from Jesus throughout the rest of the New Testament because they are writing their own stories. They are seeing their own miracles. They are walking in their own testimonies. Jesus is our example. We don't read the gospels and ooh and awe at what Jesus did. All of, obviously, we're blown away and astounded. But it's not just for us to sit back and applaud. It's for us to go, if he was a man filled with the Holy Spirit. Come on, what does the Bible say? The same spirit who raised Christ from the dead dwells in your mortal bodies. The same spirit. You don't get a junior spirit. You don't get some different spirit. The same one that he operated in is operating on the inside of you. If we were not meant to walk as Jesus walked, then what was the purpose of him sending the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost? Jesus is our prototype. Amen? I want to say this. The Holy Spirit is not Pentecostal. The Holy Spirit is not Baptist. The Holy Spirit is not Reformed. The Holy Spirit is not charismatic or non-denominational. And as much as they want to say they're non-denominational, non-denominational is a denomination. <laughs> the Holy Spirit does not follow our strict guidelines. He does not belong to the denomination. The Holy Spirit is Trinity. The Holy Spirit is perichoresis. He is the circle dance with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. He is part of the mutual indwelling of the Father, Son, and Spirit, a relationship that we are now invited into. And the reason I'm telling you that this morning is I, I don't want you to sit here and think, oh, he's preaching a Pentecostal message because he's talking about the Holy Spirit. I'm not preaching a Pentecostal message. I'm preaching a message that you find in the sacred scriptures. That there is a gift that is given to us. And his name is the Holy Spirit. And he, is, he, is, he comes upon us for power. To endue us with power. So that we may go out and do the works of the ministry. And by the way, we are invited into that mutual indwelling of the Holy Spirit. 
We are invited into that mutual indwelling of the Father, Son, and Spirit, that circle dance, that relationship the Trinity has with one another. The Bible says that you are in him and he is in you. It says in, in John chapter four, it gets all confusing because it says the Holy Spirit will be in you. And then he says, I will be in you. Then it says the Father will be in you and you will be in him. And then it says, we're all gonna be in you. and be in you. So, so what is it? It's an intertwine, intertwining weave of communion and fellowship that we get to share with the Father, Son, and Spirit. With the Father, Son, and Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in you for a purpose. He's in you for a purpose. And, and there's no one in this room, not a single person in this room, who more is not available to. We all, all of us, have room to grow. Amen. All of us have room to grow. If Jesus is our example, if he's our standard, then we've got some work to do, don't we? There's more, there's more, there's more. You know, I want to end it with this. The Holy Spirit is not for altar calls and pulpits. The Holy Spirit is not just for ministers that stand on a platform. The Holy Spirit, what did we talk about last week? He's the one who communes with us. The Holy Spirit is for every aspect of your life. Every aspect of your life. So I don't just want to be a pastor and a preacher filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to be a little league coach filled with the Holy Spirit. So that when I encounter kids who come from broken homes... So when I encounter kids who come from homes where there's drugs and alcohol and there's all just kinds of perversion and, 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 and things, distorted things, I want to be a coach filled with the Holy Spirit that as I'm coaching them how to swing a bat, they're becoming oaks of righteousness. Amen. That as they are learning how to throw a ball, they're learning that they don't have to be broken. There is a healer that can come in and make them stable. That there's a Holy Spirit who wants to come in and dwell on the inside of them. I want to be a, a husband and a father filled with the Holy Spirit. So that I'm not trying to raise my kids on my own, but I have the helper, the paraclete, the counselor living on the inside of me, teaching me every day how to handle every situation. You know, parenting is a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> yeah, what do, what do you do when, when they're not doing their homework in class and you've told them a thousand times and you've grounded them from everything possible? I need the Holy Spirit to come along and say, man, it's, it's more than just about what you can take away. Let's give them something. Let's give them the character. Let's give them the character that is strong enough to be responsible and to do things, not because they're afraid of punishment, because, but because they have the character to do things the right way. And let me tell you, I need the Holy Spirit to teach me how to do that. I want to be a dad full of the Holy Spirit. I want to be a husband filled with the Holy Spirit so that when Amber gets out of line, I know. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> Every aspect of my life. I don't want to do it apart from the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus like a dove. And it says it remained upon him. I love this example that a pastor, another pastor gives when talking about this. He says, the Holy Spirit came and rested upon him. It remained. How would you walk if you had a dove sitting on your shoulders? Every step would be with the dove in mind. Every step would be with the dove in mind. I want every step of my life to be with the dove in mind. That we've been given this precious, this precious, just crazy gift called the Holy Spirit. I don't want to waste it. I don't want to waste it because of my theological persuasions. I don't want to waste it on arguing who's right. I don't want to waste it on any of those things. I want to walk every, every detail of my life with the reality that the dove is resting on my shoulders. And every step I take is with him in mind. Amen.